Hi, this is Jim Lobato. I'm the president and founder of a company called Performance Group. You're listening to the podcast version of a program that originally aired on BizTalk Radio Show. I started BizTalk so you can have access to today's leading experts about growing your company and yourself. BizTalk is produced by Performance Group, which is in the business of helping the leadership of growth-oriented companies realize their potential. We do this by working with their sales force and helping those individuals discover and develop their unique abilities and then align those abilities with their opportunities. That's why we're known as a sales force development company. I hope you enjoy this podcast. Welcome to BizTalk. I'm your host, Jim Lovato. In addition to joining you every week here on BizTalk, I'm the president and founder of a company called The Performance Group. Our business is helping the leadership of growth-oriented companies realize their potential. We do this by working with their sales force and helping those individuals discover and develop their unique abilities and to align those abilities with their opportunities. That's why we're known as a sales force development company. Welcome to the program tonight. If you are somewhat involved in sales, meaning if you are a sales professional or maybe you support the sales team in some manner or maybe that um, uh, you are direct to lead a sales force or let's pretend you're in a situation where you need somebody to buy into your ideas. If you find yourself in that situation, stay tuned. I think you're going to enjoy our guest tonight. It's Don Spinini who is going to talk about his best-selling book, 60 Seconds to Yes. And for those of you who are tired of hearing no, whether it's personally or professionally, I think you're going to find Don's insights interesting. The question I have for you, and we try to start our program out every week with just a key question, and I was thinking about this, and usually we try to relate that to what we're going to be talking about later on the program today, and and, and that's with Don, and it has to do with 60 seconds to yes, and I thought I'd vary a little bit and ask the key question today centered around, is your house in order? That's the key question for the day. Is your house in order? Because it's good to be with you considering that uh, the judgment day has come and gone. For those of you who paid attention to that, uh, we're a couple days past that. You know, a friend of mine, I was thinking about this, uh, because there's a lot of jokes made around, you know, Judgment Day being the 21st and coming and going, and but it does pause you to think. Maybe we joke about it because we uh, we know that our time is finite. And I was talking to a friend of mine the other day, um, and he said one of the toughest things he had to do recently, meaning the last couple of years, was go to his brother-in-law's office. My friend runs an insurance brokerage house, and. Uh, his uh, brother-in-law was involved in insurance, and he said uh, he had to go clean out his office one day with his sister because his brother-in-law unexpectedly had just passed away. And he said the hardest thing about that was to go into his office and recognize that uh, he had left it as if he was coming back to work tomorrow. And then a young lady friend of mine, you probably saw it in the front page of the newspaper the other day, um, front page story here on Saturday, was hit broadside by a dump truck hit so hard the car was actually attached to the bumper of the truck. And it just reminded me of the old joke that you only get by a train and a dump truck once, meaning that usually you don't walk away from that. This case, thank God that she did, only had to spend a couple days in the hospital, but dodged a, uh, definitely dodged a bullet there. And just recently, the other day, three young men in the school district in my hometown were driving home late one night after spending 
a couple hours watching movies in one of their friends' home. He had a utility pole, and only one out of the three walked away from that. And then I was talking to my father today, who's 91 years old, still has all of his faculty, still lives in the house he's lived in for the last, now going on 40-some years. And uh, he was up early in the morning, as he normally is, reading the paper and doing what he needs to do, and is in the bathroom, and then all of a sudden he woke up on the bathroom floor. Doesn't know how he got there, but on the way down, um, hit the side of the bathtub and cracked a couple ribs. And uh, he kind of joked about that a little bit. Uh, he's in a lot of pain, but doing fine. And one moment you're coherent and you're there. The next moment you're on the bathroom floor. So the question I have to ask is, is your house in order? Not to put a downer on our program today. I don't mean this in terms of you're not going to show up at work tomorrow. But what if you ended your day, your week, or your month one step closer to taking care of the things that need to be taken care of? What if every day was judgment day for you? John Papajohn, the venture capitalist in Des Moines, Iowa, made a comment one time in a speech I heard him talk about. He said he never starts a business without a plan to get out in five years. And that kind of stuck with me because what if it was a law to get out of your business or the job you're in currently in five years? Would you not have a sense of urgency to get your house in order sooner? A friend of mine, Barry Watts, who is an investment um, planner, made a comment one time to me. He says, what do you know to be true about your business, but there's no evidence of that by the way you are running your business? To know and not to do is not to know. So what do you need to get in order? And what I mean by that is to take advantage of the opportunities that come your way. I walked out of a meeting two years ago where we had an opportunity to do a placement for one of our clients and receive a pretty hefty fee for it. It was an executive placement. And uh, the client asked, uh, can you do this? Meaning, can you find this person for us? And don't you love that moment of truth? And for those of you involved in sales, you know what it's like to have the credibility to be in front of somebody and them asking you to do business with them, having the reputation to be an advisor to this client, so you got the relationship, you got the trust, everything you would need. And in this case, we even had the yes. We just had to confirm it. And when they asked you that question, and this seemed like it took hours, but it was only nanoseconds, it went through my head and I said, uh, no, uh, probably not up to your standards. And uh, we walked away from that, even though we could have used the fee at that time um, to fund some other projects, we just walked away. And... Um, I remember walking out of that office with my partner at the time, and and I said, never again, meaning never again will we be in a position where we have the credibility and trust to do a high-level placement where we can't fulfill our clients' expectations. Never again. On the placement side of our business, we will get our house in order. That was two years ago, and it's taken us this long to do it. I can confidently say today that pretty much 95 to 99, depending on the day, of our house is in order in that side of the business, which is a pretty good batting average. Um, And we've done successful placements over the last few years. Don't get me wrong. I'm just talking about up to our standards that our house is in order. And you know your house is in order when you can walk away and the business doesn't require you. That's one of the ways you know it. 
You can walk away from your department. It doesn't require you to check the email and voicemail every 60 seconds just to make sure things are running correctly. That's when you know when you got your house in order. Okay. Something to think about. Is your house in order? What do you know to be true about your business? But there's no evidence, by the way, that you are running it. On our program tonight is Don Spinini, and we're talking about his best-selling book, 60 Seconds T.S., Don personally conducts over 150 sales training sessions each year. For those of you who are not in the training business, that means he's busy, folks. Any trainer that does over 100 engagements is considered working full-time, so he's got one and a half jobs just doing that. He's also the founder and president of Pro Team and the author of the Pro Team, uh, the Pro Force, rather, Sales Mastery and Influence 60 Seconds GS Workshops, which he conducts all over the United States. Don, welcome to the program. Hey, Jim. Thank you very much, my friend. I'm glad to be here. Well, Don, uh, I also uh, I imagine uh, both of us with one, with our names ending in the last vowel that we must both be paisans at some level. Am I guessing right but, on yeah, that? Yeah, right, my friend. That's, uh, yeah, we're brothers. Definitely <laughs> we're brothers. brothers. <laughs> so, so I hope I'm pronouncing the name right because I know that uh, a few people get libido screwed up every now and then. But uh, just one left. It's, it's Spini. Just one left. Uh, one left. Uh, one left. It's Spini is it. So Spini is it. it. Okay. That's it. <laughs> Well, good. Well, Don, uh, thanks for taking time out of you, out of your hectic schedule, and uh, and I know people who listen to the program and more importantly download the podcast. This topic is really important to them, uh, mainly because the things that uh, that we hear out in the marketplace uh, consistently now is they can't seem to get people to make a decision. Uh, clients want you to show up and throw up, as I call it, because they seem to be so time deprived in terms of uh, getting their stuff done. You have to come in and also, here's what we got, here's what it cost, here's what we get implemented. And you almost have like 60 seconds to make your presentation. So I was intrigued that you have the 60 seconds, you have the 60 second solution to the 60 second presentation today. <laughs> <laughs> and, exactly. and, and everybody seems to have pressure just differentiating themselves. So yeah. I don't know if you're running into the same thing out there. But, oh, uh, absolutely. It, it, there's, a, there's an air of desperation right now, especially today, Jim, a complete air of desperation in the sales world. Des- desperation fed by? You know, the, the, uh, what's happened, I guess, with the economy is that a whole new group of people have entered small business. They've, they've been laid off, they've lost their job, or they decided, I, I just want to make it on my own. I never want to be a victim of someone else's perceived vision of a down economy or someone else setting my work. So they entered business with a lot of enthusiasm and drive and energy, but they entered business with what I think is probably the wrong attitude. Okay, which is? <laughs> I'm glad you asked. Yeah, that was my little feed you there. So. Well, I'm glad I picked up on that. Because <laughs> <laughs> you're a professional. Well, well you know, we, we, uh, people enter business, and you know, I, I don't know who said this, and I'd like to give them credit, but when I heard it, it was sort of an epiphany moment. Someone said that the quickest way to fail in business is to focus on the second most important thing first. And what I think they meant by that is people come into business, and you know whether it's direct sales or corporate America, but they come into business loving what they do, meaning they love being an, an attorney or a CPA or a, a chiropractor, or they love selling insurance or financial services like I did for 20 years. So they come into the business loving what they do, but they fail to understand the primary function of business. And that loving what you do and being very good as a carpenter, a home builder, a chiropractor, 
none of that matters towards your success. And that the number one function of a business, as you and I know, because you're in this industry, the number one function of a business is fail. And they forget that. And, you know, you and I, and I, I've heard your show, you, you've talked about the statistics about, about people who fail, not only individually, but businesses. And, you know, you can say 90, 95%, it, you know, whatever statistic, it's, it's tracked. Nine out of ten people fail starting their own business. And it's not because they didn't have drive, enthusiasm, the right attitude. When I do my programs, I ask people, I go, okay, so, you know, entrepreneurs, the richest people in the world. What are the characteristics of an entrepreneur? And they'll come out with, they're driven, they're risk takers, uh, you know, they, uh, they're unwilling to fail, they have focus. And they go through this whole litany of characteristics and qualities of entrepreneurs. Not once, Jim, in the thousands of people that have been through my program, not once did they get the one common quality that all entrepreneurs share. They never said it. The one quality all entrepreneurs share, the wealthiest 1% share, is they are the best salespeople in their industry. And yet, we're so ashamed of the word sales in this country that we can't even use the word, that we have to come up with fancy names to disguise it, like entrepreneur, like director, like account manager. People need to embrace the highest paying profession in the world, and yet they run from it. Uh, it's, it's interesting because uh, some of our clients who are, in the, let's say, in the professional services arena, uh, don't, you, you hit it right on the head, don't see themselves as salespeople. And we were working with a client the other day, and he said, well, we, had this, we hired this salesperson, it didn't work out. And this person said he had all the industry experience. We hired him, and, of course, that didn't work out. And uh, we tried this, and it didn't work out. And I'm sitting this guy, listen, I said, well, let's not talk about that. Let's talk about what you do. And he explained what he did, which is really kind of cool stuff that they do, and, and they serve the um, um, the law uh, law firms, a very niche marketplace uh, that they serve. And I looked at the guy, and I says, uh, I said, you know what your problem is? And he said, what? I says, you're the best darn salesperson in this company, and you don't know it. And you're too, right. you're too busy in the back room building presentations you could get a college grad to do or an undergrad to do. And where you need to be in front of lawyers is telling your great story. you got some really cool stuff going on here. And it, wow. it, like, it, like, it dawned on him like, wow. And so we yeah. hired him an appointment setter instead of hiring him a salesperson. <laughs> that's, that's brilliant. Well, that get, him in, exactly get him in front of it. So, so it, it's easy for me to relate to this starting my own business, which is now going on 10 years ago. I can remember, Donna, maybe you've heard similar stories. It was crystal clear before I started my business. Man, and I and I didn't do the formal business plan, but I did write out what our products were, knew what we wanted to do, and had all that put together. And then we're going to go, you know, then day one comes, and you launch it, and you're sitting in your office. And we were fortunate to get clients right away. But I can remember sitting there about six months into it, feeling like I fell into a black hole, <laughs> meaning I was just so overwhelmed with all the aspects of the business and the clarity seems to have left. And I found myself trapped behind the desk instead of being in front of the client. Now, right. is that similar to what you experience when you're out working with your clients? No, absolutely. You know, it's very easy, again, to lose focus on the primary function of your business. And, you know, when you get caught up and when I get caught up, it's, uh, you, you know, I'd like to say that I'm really, truly busy. And, right. and a lot of people still say they're really, truly busy. But it comes down to the fact that, you know, their confidence level in supporting the number one function is probably not where it needs to be. 
Well, what ever. is what what? Okay, so and I know people listening to our program right now are probably shaking their heads yes or find themselves in the, in that situation. So when when you encounter one of your clients that that are in that mode, um, what's the number one thing you do or say or work with them on to kind of get them focused in the right direction or click or create clarity for them? Yeah, you know, it's it's uh, what, what you see people doing today in business is um, they focus on creating activity and, and generating leads and action. So you've got all these social media consultants, which I use to get your social media in order. Yep. You've got lead generations like Sales Genie, which I use yep. to create activity coming in. These yep. are valuable, invaluable components to your business. Then the problem, which which we see with our clients, lies in the fact that now you have somebody in front of you. What do you do? You're one on one. You're sitting there looking at them. That is the that's the problem. And that you know bringing people in the door uh, and hundreds of people in the door every year without the ability to know what to do with those people is a waste of money and time. And see, what people think, they think that lead generation is a magic solution. I don't have to worry about being influential and getting people to say yes. As long as I have enough activity, I'll win. And the problem with that is, Robert Kiyosaki would tell you that you'll never get rich doing that. You cannot get rich. You cannot work 10 times more hours to make 10 times more money. And you cannot deal with 10 times more people to make 10 times more money. There's no leverage. And the ultimate goal for all of us in business is to be a business owner and then an investor. But the fact that if I just if I if I say nothing and just create a, a an activity generation machine, I'm wasting very valuable people that would love to say yes to my product, service, or idea. But I don't know what to do when I'm one on one with them. And I hope that I can create some machine that does that for me. In most businesses, as we're finding out, you know that that's not going to work. Remember, there were there were millionaires and billionaires before the internet was ever born, before Facebook was ever born. And if you don't if you don't know what to do with somebody when you're one on one with them and you can't influence them to say yes and have it be good for them, then you're going to struggle in business. But see, that that scares people because they don't think they have that ability. They don't understand that it's a skill that they can develop. So what they do is they rely upon crutches like social media. And sales, they, they treat social media and sales gene like crutches and not tools like they're supposed to be used. And if, without the ability to influence people, and what I mean by influence, I tell people this in the programs, you're never going to get rich getting people who already agree with you to say yes. There's no influence needed. Influence is getting people that have little or no interest in your product, service, or idea. You get those people to say yes. You get them to change their mind completely and have it be good for them. That's what influence is. And so if you just want to focus on people who have an, an interest in your product, service, or idea, it's very hard to be wealthy. But you can go out and you can get people who've already told you no or who have no idea they want or need your product, service, or idea. You can communicate those people personally and get them to say yes. It's a skill. And the top 1%, you know, they weren't born with it. They developed it. Nobody's born with the ability to speak, read, or write. Their communication skills influence is an advanced communication skill. Some people develop it, some people don't, but everybody has the ability to do it. And to me, that's the key. At the end of the day, where the rubber meets the road is all my social media and my sales GD machine, all the stuff that brought the people in. Don't waste those people. Know what to do when you're sitting in front of them. And that's where people, in my, my, in my experience, in running this company, fall short. So listening to you, Don, what you're really differentiating, what I would call, traditional sales skill training or yeah. going to be trained on selling skills, how to present, how to close, how to ask for the order, all that stuff yeah. we've 
seen and heard for years, to really becoming a, a person of influence. Yes. Okay. Good. Well, yeah. I don't think anybody's ever had that approach before, at least <laughs> not anybody we talked to. Maybe, that, maybe that's why you're on the program tonight. <laughs> well, you, well, you know, Jim, uh, I make some controversial statements, and uh, then we back them up. And one of the big controversial statements I make is that sales training in, in general does not work. It has never worked. And I'm not talking about one-on-one consulting that you and I do for a client. We're really mentoring people, mm-hmm. individual. I'm talking about the industry of sales training does not work, and it has not worked. And no one has ever stood up and said the king has no clothes. And here's my – don't listen to me. You don't have to believe me. Here's my proof. If sales training truly worked, the government would pay for it for all of us in sales because it would drive up revenue so much we'd solve all the economic woes. There is you know, 55 million salespeople in this country, of which 90% never materialize wealth. And, you know, we go through all this, we check these boxes, and I'm I'm coming from the point of experience. I paid for all the sales training myself for 10 years. I went through all the programs, and I I had had, had charisma, I had enthusiasm. What I found out is sales is not about your personality. You and I know that. Mm -hmm. But the best salespeople out there are the quiet, demure type. But what I found out is it didn't work not only for me, and, and so I didn't blame myself because I looked around and it didn't work for my fellow salespeople either. No, we didn't have a big spike in sales. We went to the big sales training. You know, we didn't have, a, you know, the, the good salespeople sold more and the bad salespeople still left. And I'm not talking about anecdotal again, the, the private coaching that goes on, which people should do more of, like what you and I are engaged in. But the industry, it, it hasn't worked. But what people do is they go to these things, they invest all this money, excuse me, spend all this money, not invest. And when it doesn't work for them, they blame themselves. Well, the reason sales training doesn't work is because it teaches us to talk about us and think about us and not the person we're talking to. And everybody sells differently, and that's good. We know canned presentations don't work. But the epiphany moment I had back in 1995 when this program was born is every human being on this planet makes decisions the exact same way. Everybody, for a very important reason, we're built that way. And the person that understands that decision process and can jump in and track with the buyer in that decision process is going to get that person to say yes. That's not what we're doing. We do. We go out there and we think about ourselves. We think about probe and present, probe and present, probe and present. We raise the defenses in the buyer, and they say no. And here's the problem. When they met with us, they were there to say yes to something. They took our meeting. They took time out of their day. They came to our office. We went to their office. They came to say yes to something. They may not have even known what that was because it was still held in the subconscious mind. But they were there to say yes, and we lost them. Well, you can change that. You know, that's what influence is. Influence is a skill. You can get people from low interest to high interest and hold that interest all the way through conflict resolution objections, and you can get people who are predisposed to say no to say yes. And it's good for them. They're going to say yes because it's good for them. And, you know, it's not manipulation. Manipulation is where I get you to say yes, I win and you lose. Influence is I get you to say yes, I win, you win. So we teach, we teach to use this powerful skill for influence. And it's not probing, it's not presenting, it's not asking questions. We say that influence is the conversation before the presentation and the battle after the presentation when the buyer still says no, but they want to say yes. So it's not mystical, it's not strange. We're built this way. Influential people know the decision process and can affect it. And that's, that's where we focus when, when you're with somebody one-on-one. You know, Don, it's interesting. You talk about uh, business owners and people that have gotten into business the last two years to control their own destiny. 
and, and losing some focus over what the number one function would be. And also the salespeople that uh, – I can't tell you, you probably heard the same – you run in the same things where they come out of a sales call and they say, well, how did that go? And he says, well, I had a great conversation. Uh, I understand you had a great conversation. Were there any clear next steps or decisions made? No, well, we had a great conversation. And, and, and when I talk to people, I said, well, what's your huge differentiating value? Well, our relationships with our clients. Well, I wonder if your clients would say the same thing. Mm, so wow. what is it – I'm going to take you back in time. So you're um, working in insurance, the insurance industry. So are you doing personal lines or property casualty? Employee benefits. Actually. Oh, employee benefits. Okay, yeah, that that, that feels not competitive, so. Yeah. <laughs> so you're, you're in employee benefits and you're leading a team and, and you're sitting around one day and you, you say enough is enough. What was the enough is enough about where it – prompted you to go off and start your own thing, which is the pro Salesforce mastery and influence workshops you do? Well, that's a good question. You know, it, it, um, what, what most people understand is that um, you don't have to be an entrepreneur or risk taker to make money and to be wealthy in this country. In fact, I was not a risk taker. So what people think of from a quality standpoint, when they talk about the wealthy 1%, the, the qualities they all have in common, I have almost none of them. I was not a risk taker. I was not driven. I worked for corporations my entire life, and I failed for the first 10 years working for those corporations. That was the frustration as I was doing all this work, all the sales training, all reading all these books, and I still failed, and I was getting out of sales when I had what I would call my epiphany moment in 95, and things changed dramatically, and I was able to retire 13 years later from, from debt to a significant amount of, of what I would call wealth for myself. So I didn't wait. I didn't start my own business until I had a certain amount of comfort and security. So I know that it's not about the fact you have to be driven and a risk taker. But the epiphany moment that I had for my sales team is they were going out there and doing something we were all taught called probing. Now, I understand what that means in the, in the proper sense. I know what the intent of that is. But we were taught to probe and present. And what I didn't realize, because first of all, if you, if you did it perfectly, well, that's one thing, but most sales professionals don't do it well at all. Right. And then what I didn't know is that when I was probing, see, we were all taught that, well, when you're probing, you're talking about the buyer, but you're not. That when you're probing, you're talking about yourself. You're talking about some secret solution that I'm hiding behind my back, and I'm trying to funnel them down to, to answer correctly so that I can spring a secret solution onto them and say, oh, here's the problem, and here's the solution. And what, what we, you and I both know, though, here's what's crazy, is, is we're also buyers. And we know when we're being probed. And when we're being probed by a salesperson, our defenses are high. Natural, it's natural. It's supposed to be. It's perfectly natural. Remember, buying is perfectly natural. But I didn't get that, okay, when I'm talking to somebody, all the rules were different. That when I'm probing somebody, they get that I'm really talking about them, but they knew that I wasn't. And so when I knew that rate, when interest, when defenses are high, interest is low. Those, those forces in a decision are interest and defenses. They cannot occupy the same space at the same time. When defenses are high, interest drops. And when defenses are high, they say no. And I didn't get that. Most people don't get that. And so I had to, I had to come into a whole different door, a whole different perspective. We teach in our program that you don't qualify buyers. There, there's something out there called the buy-sell encounter, which, which is part of our program. That's a point, a tangible point where influence happens. 
And so what we train people on is to, one, don't probe. You know, they're qualified. They met with you. They're qualified. What we do is we try to get them to turn wants into needs. And that the decision process, which exists and starts in the subconscious mind, as, as you and I know, the subconscious mind doesn't care about wants. See, wants are a new concept to the brain. But you t- look at sales professionals out there. They're out there selling wants. They're selling more money, more time, more freedom, looking better, feeling better. The subconscious mind that controls the decision does not care about wants. It cares about needs. It cares about food, water, clothing, and, you know, making sure that the basic functions are taken care of. And, and, but it's also reprogrammable that you can program it to have different needs. Wants are forever deferrable. We have a, a, one of our foundational statements in our program is you can want something forever and never buy it. Wants are forever deferrable. When you need something, you'll take action now. And the ultimate skill of influence is to get that buyer to see what you have to offer as instead of a want, to turn it into a need. And every product, every service, every idea, every company out there that exists, their product can become a need to the buyer. And that's the skill of influence. But people aren't doing that. What's going on out there, we're probing, we're presenting, we're talking about making more money, saving time, all the stuff that exists in the want category. Well, you know, 100 years ago, even 100 years ago, where you are and where I am, wants were not an issue. Everybody, even 100 years ago, was only focused on satisfying basic needs. The brain's not developed enough to understand wants. But that's what salespeople are selling. And what are the results? 99% never materialize significant wealth. So we know. So the insanity, Jim, is we're told to do this, and then yet, if you're told to do something, you come into a business, you come into sales, let's say you're new to sales, you say, okay, Here's what I want you. I want you to do this. I want you to do all that, all that everybody's telling you to do. Oh, and by the way, there's a 99% chance you're going to fail. Who would take that job? See, people don't talk about the failure rate. They only talk about, you know, here's what everybody does. So we, we have to stop, and, and companies like yours and mine do this. We stop and we say, guys, the king has no clothes. You know, you're an individual. We've got to look at what you're doing specifically, but you have to you have to get people to change their mind about what they're doing. You have to get them to say yes to something they're predisposed to say no or they're predisposed not to even have an interest in. You got to get them to say yes. And you can do this. We're seeing, you know, what, what most people would consider a miracle. We're seeing that every day in this program because people go, oh my gosh, it's not about me. It's not about my personality. I don't have to have charisma and charm. I don't have to be an extrovert. Selling doesn't work. Influence does, but it's not about me. It's about the buyer. I got to know what they're going through, jump in with them, and guide them to the end. And I can do that. And my product, service, or idea doesn't matter. So they're they're, they're it's sort of an awakening for for the people because they take themselves out of the equation and their confidence goes up instantly. So what is the thing that? And I'm assuming that you, when you conduct your workshops, you can see the moment where the light bulbs start going off. In, in in their mind, just like it did for you in 95, right? Yes, correct. So what is that moment in the workshop? What do you say or do where they just simply go, you know, we've, I've, that, it makes so much sense. I mean, I, maybe I just overlooked it. You know, it, when we talk about the decision process and we dissect the decision process, it completely blows people's mind. And in, in, in summary here, here's, you know, we're, we're, I'll give this to you in just a minute or so. Okay. 
we all go through the same process when we make decisions. We're built this way by God or whatever people believe. I, I believe in God, and I believe God built us this way for a reason. We make decisions in this process because it's part of our survival mechanism, and that the decision process exists in our survival mechanism, which is controlled in the subconscious mind. But here's the decision process. The first thing, and we break it down into three parts. The decision process exists in three parts. The first part, and this is very eye-opening to people who have been through the program, the first part we call exploration. That is this. You and I will not say yes to anything. We will not buy or say yes until first we make the emotional connection to that. That's how you start the decision process. It's not on all the time. But you and I make an emotional connection. We call that the exploration phase. And here's the controversy. Here's why other sales training programs hate my gut. Because here's where we really say the king has no clothes. What we, what we identify and prove in our program, the decision to buy is made first in the very beginning of the process, not at the end after some salesperson does some fancy closing strategy and some weird objection module strategy. We make the decision to buy. You think about you and I at home and your, your listeners at home. What do we do? Our TV blows up. We go, oh, my gosh, I need a new TV. We just launch the decision process in ourselves. We don't know the make, model, brand, store, or the price, but we've made the decision to buy a new TV without having any idea what it's all about. Then what we do, we have to go and validate that decision. Now we go seek out the proof and evidence. We go look for the TV. But the decision to buy was made at home. And what do we do? We take tangible action. We take, we get our, we get our, we take our coat, jacket, keys, wallet, purse, or whatever. We get in the car. We go out in the rain, and we go to Costco. And we have no idea the price, maker model of that TV. We, we made the decision to buy at home. See, most sales professionals, for, for us to believe that sales training works, we have to think that the person we're talking to already has a predisposed interest in our product, service, or idea. That's not true. We can launch that decision process in somebody. But for you and I, naturally, without any salesperson, we make that decision to buy first, and then we go validate that decision. And here's what trips up most salespeople. They go, well, Don, I get this. This is not an epiphany moment. I know that you, you buy on emotion first, and then you justify with logic. Here's the problem, Don, is I do that very well. I get people emotionally connected, and then I validate that decision very well, and they're still telling me no. I've got to get out of the business. I'm the worst salesperson in the world. They even told me they wanted it, and they're still telling me no. And to them, I say, no, it's not you. It's not your fault. There's three phases to the decision process. Number one, we make the decision to buy first. Number two, we go validate that decision. But because we make the decision to buy first and validate it, doesn't mean the decision is over. The decision goes to conflict resolution to get worked out. It, it, it starts in the heart, it moves to the brain, and ends up in the gut. And a, and a skilled, influential sales professional knows where the buyer is in those three areas and jump in with them and guide them with them to the end. So when it goes to the gut, what people don't realize is when the buyer says no, they're in the decision process. They're in it to say yes, not to say no. The brain does not take that decision process lightly. It's a matter of survival. It's been around for thousands of years. It has nothing to do with money or cars or houses. It's been around for thousands of years. But when somebody is in the decision process, meaning they met with us, they took our phone call, they were in it to say yes to something, and we lose them because we get to conflict resolution, and we have no idea what to do with them once they tell us no. We think they don't want or need it. Well, here's, what, here's the epiphany moment is this. People, they were not in conflict resolution to say no. They're not in the decision process if they didn't want or need it. They told you that. They lied to us. They lied for a very important reason. 
but they said they don't want or need it, or they don't have the time or the money. That wasn't true. But that was them addressing the enemy that is in the decision process, and the enemy in the decision process is fear of change. Most salespeople have no idea what to do with fear of change. Thanks for sharing something new for audience, which is breaking down that decision process. We said we got to step three of this process where the conflict resolution, where it goes to heart, brain, and gut. And so uh, once it's in the in that area, you said we, we tend to drop the ball there. Share some insight with us for that. Yeah, in summary, Jim, um, the buyers in conflict resolution, they have objections because it's a holding pattern to get them to work it out and say yes. Most sales professionals don't take it as that. They take it as a, a battle between me and them. The enemy is fear of change. A skilled sales professional knows that and works on behalf of the buyer to get them over that. And I tell people this. And you talked about the epiphany moment they have in this program. What the epiphany moment is, when the buyer is in conflict resolution, where they have objections, when they told us no, they're closer to yes than they've ever been before. And we usually just let them go. And you've got to understand that what they're going through is a battle that has been going on for thousands of years, and that fear of change wasn't always the enemy, but it is now, because we introduced the want into the, into, the, into the psyche. So the sales professional that understands that helps the buyer get out of conflict resolution. See, what a very common mistake, as I summarized, a common mistake that salespeople do is that when they get an objection, they try to solve it. And when you try to solve an objection, when the buyer is in conflict resolution, you join them in conflict resolution, and that's called a fight. So we show you how to navigate out of conflict resolution and show you how to get the buyer to make a logical and valid decision. But that's not what happens. What people do is they engage the buyer by trying to solve a problem that isn't real. Don, if people want more information on your program, they should go where? TeamProForce.com, Jim. Okay. TeamProForce.com. Don, yes, thanks sir. for being on the program. Jim, thank you. I appreciate that. God bless you guys and, uh, and best you out there in Des Moines. Thank you. Don Spaniti, the book is 60 Seconds to Yes. I suggest you get it. The website is TeamProForce.com. Our website is BizTalkRadioShow.com. It's great to have you on the program here tonight, and we will see you next week. This has been Jim Lobato for BizTalk. This or other BizTalk podcast may be downloaded by visiting our website at www.biztalkradioshow.com. Or you can subscribe to BizTalk through iTunes. If you want to learn the strategies how to take your sales force to the next level, you can contact the Performance Group at 800-550-9509. Or visit us on the web at www.pmgllc.net.